0: Hello everyone. Welcome to a WKXL Spotlight. I've been on the airwaves here for the last few months talking to people about the cryptocurrency space and how the year 2024 is going to be happening. There's going to be a lot of movement and a lot of exciting events coming up in the cryptocurrency world. So today I'm delighted to have a WKXL Spotlight edition where we welcome a guest, Natalie Brunel, who is the host of Coin Stories podcast and is a very well-respected figure in the Bitcoin community, welcome to the show, Natalie.
1: Thank you so much for having me. How's it going?
0: It's going great. What I will tell you is, over the WKXL airwaves here in New Hampshire, I try to give people information that from a very base level where. I know a lot of folks don't understand crypto, really don't know anything about it, and I try to get them curious enough to to try to learn. In talking with you, I feel like we should cover that piece maybe real quickly if you'd be able to help with with your background and how you got into cryptocurrency to start, but then we're going to skip ahead to some more advanced stuff down the road as the show goes on.
1: Sure. Well, I actually come from the world you're working in. I was a mainstream media news journalist for over a decade. And so um, I, I'm really experienced in the world of breaking down complex topics into something that the average person can understand while they're on their drive or um, while they're you know, watching the news program and cooking dinner at the same time. So my goal is to simplify the message of Bitcoin because I learned about Bitcoin for the first time in 2017 and like so many people i was dismissive and i was skeptical and i looking back i realized that so many people do that with disruptive technologies we all sort of did that with the internet right and i can only imagine that you know, a century ago people did that with cars and electricity and and beyond so i just want to i just want to let people know that if you're skeptical now that's actually good i think that's healthy because you do need to sort of learn a little bit about the financial system and in, in in order to appreciate bitcoin but it's also far less intimidating um, and difficult than I originally thought. And so I was exposed to it in 2017. I was working as a news reporter in Sacramento, California. I had friends who worked in the tech space in the Bay Area, and they were talking about crypto and Bitcoin. So I decided to buy a little bit at the time, thinking it was very speculative and you know, maybe a little bit of a lotto ticket. And then I had a mentor give me the book, The Bitcoin Standard, and that really sent me on my journey because I realized that I didn't understand how money really worked. I didn't understand how the banking sector functioned, how money was created. And that's what really led me to appreciate why Bitcoin was invented and the problems that it could ultimately solve. And for me, it's really been a journey of rediscovering my hope in the American dream because as a first-generation immigrant... I had lost faith that the future was going to be better than the present or the past. And Bitcoin revived that hope in me and actually increased it. I see the future now as one of a lot of hope because we have the opportunity through technology to fix the monetary system. And I'm very excited about that.
0: It's amazing that you just said the Bitcoin standard, Natalie. It's prompted something in my mind. In that book, was there a story about a town who had, or a group of people that had rocks located in a lake mm-hmm. nearby, and those rocks were looked at as a form of currency where people could kind of take loans out against?
1: Yes, so that is the story of the island of Yap, the Yap Stones. And basically, um, a couple of centuries ago, the the people on, on Yap Island had these very rare stones. I believe they were made of um, limestone. And because of their scarcity uh, and because of their size, they were really prized. And because of their size, also they were not very easily divisible or portable, so they were actually kind of displayed in the in the town center. And people would equate them with um, with essentially your your savings account and your wealth. And people would be able to transfer um, ownership of those Yap stones through a ledger. And one day there was a, uh, I believe it was a settler. I don't know which which country he was from. I, I forget. I think his name is James O'Keefe. He came and realized that he could actually uh, cultivate these stones somewhere else. And, and if that was their currency, he could come in and purchase the things he wants because they weren't accepting his currency that he brought to the island. And so he did that and that absolutely destroyed the economy because essentially what it did is it created inflation. It it devalued what everyone had in terms of the, the yap stones and how, how valuable they were. And so um, it just went to the core of the idea that money is at the heart of not only our interactions, but our ability to create value, exchange value and build economic strength. And so when you come in and you flood the market with this new money, um, then all of a sudden every unit is less valuable and you can really destroy uh, society that way. And so it's a beautiful story. I recommend everyone read it. And I think it's a good um, lesson in why scarcity is so important, why hard money is so important. Um, And those are two qualities that that Bitcoin obviously has.
0: It's amazing that you brought that book up because that is the exact same book that got me into Bitcoin. I first got into Bitcoin in the year 2017 as well, but I had forgotten the name of the book, The Bitcoin Standard. I had lent lent it out to somebody and I never got it back. And I said, geez, that book was what really, it just kind of clicked the gear in my mind because it made me think, you know, you got these pieces of paper, these dollar bills, and there's a one on them and that's a one dollar bill. Well, there's another bill that looks the same, except there's a five. that's worth five dollars10, 20, 100. But those bills are only worth those amounts printed on them, because we all agree together that those are worth. A $100 bill is a 100 and a one is a one. You can't eat that paper. That, that bill is really worthless except for the number that's printed on it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we have to think about the source of the money creation and the fact that with basically the click of a button, uh, our government can print as many dollars and add to the money supply in existence, which devalues every unit that's in it. And that's why we've seen over the last even several years, the purchasing power of the the dollar decrease by a significant amount. And if we look at since the creation of the Federal Reserve, which was back in 1913, so over a century ago, the, va- the value of the dollar uh, has decreased by more than 99%. And who does that hurt the most? That hurts the working class people, the people who are on fixed incomes. That actually hurts a very important um, chunk of our population and the middle class, which was once so strong. And And I often share the story that Think about just a couple of decades ago, how families could afford a nice home, a middle class home in a safe neighborhood mm-hmm. on one income. And today it feels nearly impossible. And with the rising interest rates, I mean, home prices, when you talk about monthly costs have increased about three times in just the last couple of years. And, and that doesn't mean that the house is more valuable. It means that your dollar is worth less. It doesn't go as far. And that's something that we really need to address because we're on this unsustainable fat path of creating more and more money through the form of debt. And pretty soon, um, as we're seeing around the world, people are not going to have faith in the dollar anymore. And and so something very important is at stake here. And we need a return to more sound fiscal and monetary policies. And the only way we'll do that is through hard money and through a form of money that can't easily be inflated or manipulated the way that our fiat currencies, not just here in the U.S., but around the world are. And so that's my real real hope in Bitcoin, is the ability for Americans to save again and the ability for governments to once again start to uh, base their policies on economic strength as opposed to just being able to print money.
0: This is the main piece for folks out there that don't know much about Bitcoin, other than, you know, you see the price action on some websites or on some TV shows. With Bitcoin, there is a limited supply. 21 million Bitcoin is all that will ever be created, and in all likelihood, two to three million of those are lost on computers that people had thrown away. Natalie, we probably have a a little bit of time here before we head into our first commercial, but what is uh, some, let's say somebody's driving along in their car right now, has the radio tuned, they just heard you start talking, what would you want them to know about Bitcoin as it relates to, like, the the level of debt that we have in this country right now in all, all areas?
1: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, Bitcoin is a superior form of technology and it's a superior form of property. It can never be diluted by anyone. It can never be manipulated by anyone. There will only ever be 21 million coins. And you can own just a fraction of a Bitcoin and you can literally send it anywhere in the world for a fraction of what you would need in order to send that money in any other path. It disintermediates uh, the banking system and and all these institutions that all take a cut when you spend your money or you send it somewhere. You don't need that anymore because ultimately the network is peer-to-peer. And what I think is amazing about it is not only the fact that it has been the best performing asset of the last decade and just the past year, it's appreciated 150%. But I think it really does return the power to the individual to be able to um, store the value of what they work so hard to earn into the future, as opposed to having to risk it and figure out which company to invest in or, um, or b- store all your wealth in your house, essentially, as your savings account. Right. You actually have the ability to store wealth in something that is pristinely engineered for the digital era. It is the hardest money ever created. And it really, I think, will provide a lot of economic hope for billions of people around the world.
0: People out there listening right now, if you feel like this is too much for you, I'm telling you, it's not. You just need to spend the rest of this time in your car listening to WKXL Radio, the spotlight edition with Natalie Brunel. We will break some more things down so that you can connect the dots Cross the T's, whatever we want to call it. Something will click in your mind as to why Bitcoin is something you need to learn about and want to be involved with. We'll be right back. You're listening on WKXL Radio, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester. This is NHtalkradio.com. Welcome back to this WKXL Spotlight. Natalie Brunel is on the line with us sharing insights into Bitcoin. And I want you out there to know a little bit more about Natalie and and the discussions and the types of people that she's having discussions with. Natalie, I know with Coin Stories, that is your podcast that you, I think that um, you started up in 2021, right? And you've had some big time names, not only in the Bitcoin community, but even outside. I know Vivek Ramaswamy, who's a um, you know presidential candidate here. Colonel Douglas McGregor, who is an amazing interview for anybody that hasn't mm-hmm. heard him talk. This guy is off the charts, next level intelligent. In fact, my father heard him once and he said... Boy, I, you know, I would vote for that guy for president. Um, but <laughs> what, RFK Jr., Michael Saylor from MicroStrategy, you want to talk to us a little bit just about um, you know, some of the folks you've <laughs> talked with and just what you've learned through talking with them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm so grateful to be doing what I'm doing because I'm learning from really the, the best and the most brilliant in the space. I talk to both prominent names uh, who are in the Bitcoin ecosystem, uh, building and investing, but also people outside of it. I've also had doubters on, like Peter Schiff, who's a famous gold bug. <laughs> um, and, and now I'm having presidential candidates on as well because I think that Bitcoin will be a, a critical topic going forward. I, I think a lot of people are going to vote based on... Um, a a particular candidate's on the digital asset ecosystem and, and who allows for more freedom and more ability to conduct business and return the power again to the individual. So, yeah, I've talked to a lot of business leaders. Uh, Kathy Wood was recently on. I'm about to share an episode on Monday with the two lead analysts at Bloomberg Intelligence who have been tracking all the spot Bitcoin ETF applications and updates. So, um, it's just been a great opportunity and, and you know what's crazy is I, uh, I started this really as a p- passion project. L- like I mentioned in the last segment, I was a reporter. I I built this passion and knowledge in, of, of the Bitcoin ecosystem, and I had no place to really um, express that passion. And I wasn't able to cover Bitcoin in my in my day-to-day job. So I just decided to start a podcast and start talking to the people who influenced me and in my journey to learn about the financial system and Bitcoin. And uh, it really kind of turned into its own um career path, because it, it, it created an audience. And uh, and there were a lot of people seeking out this information and education in an approachable way by someone who maybe doesn't have a super techie background. So I think I speak <laughs> like the normal person speaks. And, uh, and I've been very, very grateful, again, that I can do this. And, and I hope to educate millions of more people, because as far as we've come, we have a long way to go to educate people about Bitcoin and bring them on so that they can start saving in this asset.
0: Well, this is partly why I was so happy to have you on the show today because I'll tell you out there, there's not a ton of like, whether you want to call them influencers or experts in crypto or or I don't really know the right terminology, but there's not a ton of those people that I respect, quite honestly. I think that a lot of the the, uh, influencers are there to pump coins and make money on the side Mm -hmm. or get paid to say this or that. When Natalie interviews somebody, you can hear the sincerity the honesty, and you know what you know about Bitcoin. You, that's your main area of focus, right? I love to dive into the deeper side of altcoins, some of the small ones, right up to the larger ones like Ethereum, Cardano, XRP, etc. And I think there's many reasons why those will be going up in value as well during 2024, but you pretty much stay stick to Bitcoin, right?
1: Yes. So, you know, my journey has evolved. When I started this in 2017, I didn't understand anything. And I did dabble in the other tokens. Uh, but I but I didn't really understand what they were, right? Again, I think I was looking at it from more of a gambling and speculation mentality, hoping that one of them would sort of take off and maybe I wouldn't have to work so hard. Um, and then I really, I was inspired to go down the rabbit hole learning about Bitcoin and money. And I realized that Bitcoin is the only one that can serve as a monetary asset and as a global reserve asset in the future because of its properties, whereas many of the other tokens and protocols out there have made significant trade-offs, whether it's with their decentralization or with their security or with their scarcity caps, and so they don't qualify, in my in my mind, as something that could serve as a, a global money in the future. I think that a lot of the space outside of Bitcoin will be much more similar to digital equities. Um, a lot of them have companies behind them. They had ICOs. Um, the protocols could be more easily changed than Bitcoin. Bitcoin is really... Unchangeable and unhackable, which is part of its beauty. Um, And so I never judge what's in someone else's portfolio, but I do urge caution because there are like 20,000 coins out there. (laughs) A large number of them are unregistered securities. They do have issuers. There is counterparty risk that people need to be aware of. And so I just want people to be very careful because sometimes, again, it can look like an exciting space. You know, you put your money in this like pennies or even less than a penny meme coin and it takes off. But that is, um, that's often just a kind of pump-and-dump scheme, and there's not a lot of legs to it. And, and Bitcoin is very, very different.
0: What the shame is, is that those pump-and-dump schemes, and I've, I've had my hands in them. I've been involved, and I've had some <laughs> great wins where I've 50x. I've hit on <laughs> coins m- n- multiple times. 50 times, and it, it usually runs up to that level within a matter of just like a week or two. Things get hot, and it just starts pumping crazy. And then all of a <laughs> sudden, you fast forward, yeah. and that comes crashing down. And what I've noticed is people don't ever sell, Natalie, when it goes to those other types yeah. of coins. They're all, they just, the stories spread like wildfires. So it's just going to keep going up. It's keep, going to keep going right. up. But they don't have... The same like base formation that Bitcoin does. Bitcoin really the, the if I could tee this up to you, Bitcoin almost has uh, the the gold um, equi- equation with it, where you don't really want to spend your Bitcoin. You kind of just want to hold on to it as an asset.
1: Uh, Yes and no. I mean, around the world, in places that have far worse um, inflation activity and hyperinflation, even in some parts, Bitcoin's actually less volatile than their fiat currencies. And there are circular Bitcoin economies that have popped up around the world, including in El Salvador and Honduras and Costa Rica, um, where Bitcoin is being used as a, as a medium of exchange more. And I think that in the West, it's primarily seen as a store of value. And then in parts of the, the developing world, it is actually a medium of exchange because of the um, rules and restrictions surrounding their currencies and banking in their home countries and, and more oppressive governments than we have here. So I think in the future, East will meet West. And I think Bitcoin will serve more and more as a medium of exchange, especially with things like the Lightning Network that enable you to send money uh, for you know pennies on the dollar, uh, lightning speed across the world and make Bitcoin more scalable. And then perhaps and hopefully in the developing world, Bitcoin will be more and more used as a store of value and as a savings account for people who in the past have never been able to really save at all. And they've been really um, hand to mouth, uh, which is the case for some of the places I've visited. But to your earlier point too, um, I know it's cliche, but there's that saying, it's time in the market versus timing the market. And with a lot of the other um, currencies that exist in this space that have popped up, you really have to know when to time it and sell. Whereas Bitcoin is something that you want to keep saving in forever. I mean, I recommend dollar cost averaging on a consistent basis. I put into Bitcoin every single day what I would have spent on maybe a coffee or a meal um, just so I'm saving on a daily basis. And that's overall, I think, the best way to sort of just dip your toes in. And it doesn't have to be a lot. But Bitcoin, you could buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. You could buy $10 worth of Bitcoin or 10 euro or 10 yen. You can't do that with like a skyscraper in Manhattan or a beachfront (laughs) property in Miami, right? So it really is an amazing technology that's accessible globally to anyone.
0: And to think about the global aspect of Bitcoin, to you driving around in your car in New Hampshire, listening to this radio station, think about, I I remember like 10 years ago, the um, currency in Iceland went just off the charts with a ridiculously high inflation rate, just in a short amount of time. Imagine, and it's happened recently in Turkey and other countries, where if you had just spent your currency, your home currency, and invested that into Mm -hmm. Bitcoin, and then look after the inflation takeoff, and then... I don't know how to say it, but came back and put went back into your currency, you would have made a ton of extra money. So the worldwide yeah. piece, Natalie, you want to share some more insight into that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very true. Uh, we need... Bitcoin here in America, I really think the American worker needs it in order for us to have sort of a renaissance of the American dream. But obviously around the world where people are struggling in nations that have um, authoritarian leadership, who have um, much more restrictions when it comes to who can have a bank account and who are dealing with worst issues of uh, hyperinflation and and just economic um, struggles. They need Bitcoin, too, to be able to, um, you know, hopefully get themselves out of that. We see so many people coming to our border, right? It's one of our nation's biggest crises, and the majority of them are coming for freedom and for economic hope. Um, because that's something that I think is is shared in the human experience. We all want to not just create a better life for us but for the people around us. I mean people sacrifice so much just to help their kids have a better life or, or to help their family members. you know they work in hard jobs or dangerous jobs and and we all deserve the chance to have economic hope and dignity. but we can't if we have consistently, people who are in leadership roles who devalue currencies. And it's happening on a much more accelerated basis in the developing world and in the the global south. But it is also happening here. And it's just it's pervasive, but it's hidden. We don't really realize the hidden tax of inflation because we just say, okay, prices are going up. That's just the way it is when really it's your purchasing power that is decreasing. And there's a reason to that. And it's because they're printing more money. And there are very few people that benefit from that. And they're at the top of that pyramid.
0: So many people out there in this country are feeling hopeless, maybe the better word is just kind of down, that there's not a lot of positivity out there and Bitcoin can be a standard to kind of set your sights on to start feeling like, oh, wait a minute, we can gain some more control. I'm going to take control as we head into commercial right now on WKXL Radio. We'll be back with more with Natalie Burnell after these commercials. You're listening on 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester, nhtalkradio.com. The WKXL Spotlight, Natalie Brunel is here talking cryptocurrency with us and Bitcoin more specifically. I do have a couple questions about the general crypto landscape, but we'll get to those a little bit later. For right now, let's talk about the timeliness of this discussion as we head into next week. The 10th of January is expected to be a huge day in the world of Bitcoin. With the expected, quote unquote expected, it could not happen, but uh, I think it's very likely that we will receive an approval on spot Bitcoin ETFs for the first time. And it's my opinion, I believe there's 14 companies that are in line for ETF applications. And it's my opinion that a large chunk of those are all going to be granted the approval at one time because I think it would be unfair to grant it to um Just one, whether it be Kathy Woods, ARC investment um, application or whatnot. What do you think is going to happen on the day that these ultimately get approved, Natalie?
1: Yeah, it's an exciting time. I think it, it seems like it's pretty much a done deal. The issuers and the regulators have been going back and forth for the last few months. It almost feels like they've basically cleared their schedules just to focus on Bitcoin and delivering these products to the public. Um, and it, it does look very positive that at least a portion of the applications will uh, get the green light. So I believe that there are 11 that the top analysts expect Um, could be approved. There's sort of a question mark with Grayscale because that one is the only conversion application and they've gone back and forth with a lawsuit with the the SEC. So we're not sure on that one because you're right, to your point about the SEC is trying to prevent a scenario where they create um, a, a, a winner and so that's why they want to m- approve as many of the as they can all at once. but grayscale is sort of unique because it already has a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of Bitcoin in the trust and so a lot of assets under management and, and a high trading volume with Gbtc. Um, so that one is the big question mark but with the others I mean these are a legacy financial names that carry a lot of weight in the tradfi world. These are titans of the industry, the Black Rocks, the Fidelities. Um, I would be very surprised if they, they came back with a denial. So I think as of next week, we will see a spot Bitcoin ETF um, that people can start to allocate to, which will be incredible.
0: And what I want people to understand out there is this is how, just from a mainstream, plain-spoken way, the price of Bitcoin should rise, as these ETF applications get approved and then put into the actual market. The companies that have applied for the spot Bitcoin, Bitcoin ETF applications, BlackRock, ARK Investments, WisdomTree, VanEck, Valkyrie, Invesco, Fidelity. Here's the scoop. Those companies have like, salespeople that work for them, investors that are managing your investment funds, your retirement funds, your 401ks. Those institutions have not been putting your retirement monies into Bitcoin because there hasn't been a way really to do it on a spot basis, meaning the price of Bitcoin today versus, all right, we're going to buy it, and when we sell it, we're going to sell it for what the price of the Bitcoin is that day. That's what this spot Bitcoin ETF approval is going to put into play. These salespeople, the investors that are managing your money, those people are going to be financially incentivized to now... Invest your money into their proprietary Bitcoin product, and that means they're going to be selling it because they're going to be getting paid to sell it. And that means each of those companies needs to acquire more Bitcoin because they all need to own the Bitcoin that they're going to be um, selling or or, uh, using as an asset, Natalie, right, as part of this whole process.
1: Yeah, that's right. They're going to have to be buying uh, Bitcoin and the underlying shares have to uh, match the price of the of the assets. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I, I expect billions of dollars to flow into this into the space. I mean, like I mentioned in a previous segment. Bitcoin is the best performing asset of the last decade. I think it's finally being recognized in the TradFi world as the space they need to get a part of. And with regards to the success of previous ETFs like SPY and GLD, there is a lot of money to be made, especially for the ETF that sort of rises to the top. Because one thing that I've learned in my recent research and interviews with the analysts following um, the ETF space in general is that there tends to be one winner that that trickles up to the top. So GLD, has the majority of the volume for gold, SPY for the S&P index, and then maybe you'll have a couple sort of in the middle, and then and then many we, we may not even hear from uh, a couple years down the road. So it'll be interesting how they fight this out, and maybe people have already seen some of the commercials out there. They're putting a lot of ad money um, into getting the message out of why people should pick theirs, But I, I, you know, personally, I think that a lot of people go with the biggest names, Um, you know, obviously BlackRock, Fidelity. These these are names that people are already familiar with. They trust if if one of them is um, advising to uh, put Bitcoin in the portfolio and in the strategy. Um, but But I just want people to remember two things. Number one, there's a great opportunity here because, on a risk-adjusted return basis, Bitcoin is probably the most attractive asset out there, and it has outperformed almost every other um, stock and, and investment. But on the second hand, you know, this is a wrapper. This is a vehicle. It's not owning spot Bitcoin. Um, the company is going to be owning it, and they will issue you these shares but you're not actually owning and claiming and taking custody of physical Bitcoin or spot Bitcoin rather. Um, So just, you know, do your research because I I always recommend that people do take the time to learn enough so that they feel comfortable buying spot Bitcoin, because that's yours. That is the unconfiscatable piece of property in the digital world. um, That is yours. Whereas this is very similar to all the other investment vehicles out there in the securities world. Uh, and, And I do think a lot of people will choose it just out of convenience, right? It's just click a button, add it to your portfolio and it will um, help boost your returns over the year like Bitcoin has for so many people that have diversified into it. So just a couple of things for people to, to, to be aware of and think about.
0: Once the ETF application, uh, they get approved, Natalie, do you think that is potentially a sell the news event. My expectation is that upon the announcement of the approvals that there's going to be a flood in of all the money. This is just the way that it happens. Prices are all going to go up. Leveraged longs will be put in place all over the place and the price will take off. But when actually will all these companies start to be buying the Bitcoin so that, you know, in putting their, their asset or this piece into actual play so that, uh, Jim McIntyre here could go online and actually buy this spot uh, Bitcoin ETF. I, I had heard that maybe that wouldn't be for a couple of months out. Do you know?
1: Uh, I don't know the exact dates. I'm sure it it might differ um, depending on the company. Right now, they're uh, they've submitted their like fee structures, and those are competitive in and of themselves. I mean, they they range from 40 to 80 basis point points. So I think that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, but I I do think that this will allow more and more people to start to allocate their portfolios that were previously sort of um outside of, of the ability to put Bitcoin, you know, in their in their strategy, like the RIAs and the pension funds. So I think this opens up the gates. And could it be a sell the news event temporarily? Sure. I mean, Bitcoin is known for having pretty significant corrections in the short term. But over the long term, as these billions of dollars flow in and these issuers have to seed the funds, I mean, uh, the only thing that can happen is number go up. Because again, with everything else that's out there, this is what I want people to realize. With everything else, whether it's houses or a commodity like oil or soybeans, whatever, you can make more of it when there's more demand. You cannot make more Bitcoin, even if the demand goes through the roof and 8 billion people want it. So the scarcity component is so important. And next year, or actually this year, here we are, 2024, around April, we have a halving where the issuance decreases by half. So there are fewer and fewer Bitcoin entering into circulation it's a bit of a supply shock so this is all happening at an interesting confluence of events so can it be a sell the, event, sell the news event temporarily? Absolutely. We could see some pullbacks. But when these billions of dollars start to flow, I think it's going to significantly move Bitcoin. I think we're going to reach, if not exceed, our all-time high in the next six months. Um, and, and the seed funds it's pretty interesting what the companies have been putting out. Um, I believe it was Bitwise said $200 million to seed the Bitcoin ETF. BlackRock had a very conservative ten million dollars, which I don't, I don't fully believe. Um, but I, I, I see billions of dollars flowing in once these are approved and available.
0: Yeah, this uh, to reset the picture. Let's just say ten applications get approved. That means there's ten companies all mm-hmm. racing to be the leader in the Bitcoin mm-hmm. ETF space. Meaning when you're going to go and buy spot Bitcoin through your retirement account, trading account, whatever it is, you're going to click. From one of those 10, it can be any yeah. one. Well, what's the most likely that you're going to buy? It's the one that's that has the largest fund, the most mm-hmm. commercials that you see them in the most places. So they're all racing against each other to be at the top of the pile. They're all yeah. buying Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly.
1: It's their, um, I interviewed these two analysts from Bloomberg Intelligence. I'm going to release that episode Monday, and they're calling it the Coin Cointucky Derby because they're all jockeying for the top spot. They want to be first. They want to get their names out there, and they want you to allocate so that their trading volume goes up and so that everyone ultimately, you know, years or decades down the road chooses
0: them. Fantastic. I've got a couple other questions, Natalie. I think that uh, might make you take a deep breath before you can answer them. That's what's coming up in our last segment here after a quick commercial break. This is a WKXL Spotlight episode with Natalie Brunell on WKXL Radio, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester. You can always listen live, nhtalkradio.com. We'll be back in a minute. back, New Hampshire and beyond. New Hampshire Talk Radio, WKXL. This is a spotlight. Natalie Burnell, I've got a question for you. Uh, but first, I'll open it up with a story. I've been to a couple of Vivek Ramaswamy's events in New Hampshire. This guy's all over the place. It's ridiculous how many events he's doing compared to all the other candidates. But at the most recent one, about two weeks ago over at Hampton Beach... I went, waited in line, got up to the front, and uh, shook his hand. Hey, I've seen you before. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, Vivek. Who do you think invented Bitcoin? Who do you (coughs) think is Satoshi? And he answered me, Natalie said, I think it's an AI. And I was like, oh, interesting. You thought that artificial intelligence uh, technology was available 13, 14 years ago. Okay, maybe. Interesting. He said, why, who do you think? And I told him, but uh, let me ask you first, Natalie, who do you think created Bitcoin?
1: So I actually no longer have an answer to that. Um, And I'll share kind of an interesting story. So I used to think that it was a person by the name of Hal Finney, who, if you follow the Bitcoin space, he was the first person to receive a Bitcoin transaction from Satoshi. He also uh, created proof of work, which is the consensus mechanism behind Bitcoin for uh, validating and uh, transactions and making sure everyone is on the same page with the ledger. Um, And I used to just be convinced that, oh, you know, he's just brilliant and he sort of had like a a dual personality. And then I had the chance to talk with his widow, um, Fran Finney. Uh, Hal was just this one of these? brilliant original cypherpunks who worked in the space of cryptography and helped get us to a place where Bitcoin even exists. And he passed away in 2014 because of ALS. And I had the chance to talk to his widow. And that claim and that belief, that narrative that he is Satoshi has just really impacted her family, their family. He has, he has children that he left behind. Um, People have tried to extort them. Um, People have tried to, you know, they, they, they think that they're lying and it's just brought so much, just tragedy to a family that's already experienced so much. And so I don't, I don't want to put any more life into those claims because the beauty of Bitcoin is that we don't need to know who it is. And, and it doesn't matter who created it because it's owned by all of us. It is the money of the people. It emerged organically from the free market and from the working class really to become a dominant asset that's now being looked at and respected by wall street. And I think that's so beautiful. It had this immaculate conception where no one owns it. No one can influence it. No one operates it. Um, and, and so I actually say, I don't want to know who created Bitcoin because at this point, even if we were to find out, it doesn't matter because all of us are Bitcoin.
0: (laughs) Very good response. Very interesting. I will tell you, Natalie, I have a book that I think you should read. I will share that with you off the, off the air because I don't want to be trying to uh, influence people's opinions with this piece right here. Those are of my (laughs) own mindset. Uh, But let me ask you this. This is a little bit outside of the Bitcoin world. The, FTX Exchange, Sam Bankman-Fried, and all that went along with that, shedding negative lights into crypto and making people think it's all rigged, manipulated, and the people running it are jerks or whatever. The, the, just the negativity with it. Um, the FTT coin that at one point had risen up to being worth $76 a piece, I think, at its height. Right now, today, $2.83 per FTT coin. It's my take, with the U.S. bankruptcy proceedings that are going on right now, And the assets that are currently in the FTX exchange that everybody's trying to work through, they want to try and give the people who had invested their money into the FTX exchange, they want to try and get as much of that money back as possible. Well, the FTT coin, which was the proprietary coin of the FTX exchange, has taken a huge hit in value. And people say, hey, this is going to be worthless. It's kind of my thinking, though that since the U.S. government has kind of taken over the FTX exchange, knowing that they have a huge chunk of that asset just sitting off to the side, where $2.83 right now, it might behoove the people that are overseeing those bankruptcy proceedings, if, especially if they're going to relaunch the FTX exchange, they might want to try to give that FTT coin value, increase value once again, because it would help them be able to pay back the people who had lost money investing. So it might take away a little bit of the black guy. Could you see something like that happening? Do you understand what I'm asking you about there?
1: I mean, kind of, but at the end of the day, you know, FTT was a coin that was minted and printed by Sam Bankman Fried, and he issued as much as he wanted. He gave uh, a part of it to himself, uh, a chunk of it to you know his insiders, and then he offered it for a price to some of the people he wanted at the very beginning. And so I think what people need to remember at the end of the day is, A blockchain is a ledger. Bitcoin is the only one that is sufficiently and truly decentralized, where no one can manipulate and control and influence that ledger. FTT is a token that exists on the ledger. And I don't know all the intricacies of their consensus mechanisms and validation processes, but ultimately it is completely centralized. You are trusting whoever is issuing that token and managing the transactions with your money. And so I urge people to have a lot of caution because whether it's in the (laughs) hands of government or a small group of people who are still somehow maybe affiliated with SBF or former FTX, whatever, just be careful with putting your money there because. Personally, I think it's probably not going to be around in a decade.
0: <laughs> I, I would tend to potentially agree with you, I guess. I could see both sides is my point. I, I always try to tell my friends, Natalie, that hey, you should get into crypto. You should, you should look into this. And I've got a circle who, who are slightly dipping their toes in and whatnot. And I got a text from one of my buddies yesterday. He said, yeah, when Bitcoin dropped from 45000 down to 40000 on Tuesday, just within like a matter of an hour. The price dropped from forty-five thousand down to forty thousand, and and all the other coins got crushed down to a larger percentage, um, decreasing. And he said, "Yeah, you almost got out after that," and it's just so funny to hear. You know, they, it's like they people don't understand the impact that the traders have. Like, do you know why? That forty-five thousand dollar price tag on Bitcoin on Tuesday dropped to forty thousand dollars within like an hour because I'll tell you it's to, it was to extinguish the leverage longs. The traders were were pretty much manipulating the system. That's why it happened.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is a very um, volatile asset in the short term, and I believe the the volatility earlier this week was in part due to the Matrix Port report that came out. Basically, an analyst. An independent analyst that works for the site said that the spot Bitcoin ETF won't get approved, and and it did move the market. But so I, I'm not a trader; I don't advocate trading in this space. What I want people to remember is Bitcoin's not something that if if you um, know that you need to make like an, a really big purchase, for example, in the next six to twelve months, like like let's say you're just really saving up for a home and you want to put down a, a cash deposit, don't um don't go into Bitcoin thinking that it's going to go where you want it to go in just six months. Bitcoin is the four, five, 10-year outlook investment because over the long run, it outperforms pretty much everything else. Um, in the short term, it is incredibly volatile. And if you want to put your money in and take it out in the next six months, you could lose a lot. <laughs> so um, just be careful. Don't trade it. You know, Learn enough so that you can invest, sort of set it and forget it and use it as your long-term savings plan.
0: Natalie, I tell my friends, there are two types of people who own Bitcoin. One are people who are rich enough to be able to spend $43,000 on a imaginary piece of internet money. And the second are the smartest kids that you knew from high school who were... You know, scoring 1,500-plus on their SATs as engineers or whatnot. Those are the two people who are buying Bitcoin. And I just, do you want to be on the same side as those people, or do you want to be against them?
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny because now that I'm in the space, I'm meeting people from all walks of life and all ages, um, homemakers, um, Gen Z, boomers, everybody is starting to get into Bitcoin. And it makes me so excited because I think that this is, a once in a lifetime investment. It's like investing in the internet. If the internet allowed you to have some sort of like ownership or equity in it in the nineties, I mean, this is what you're essentially investing in. It is the future of money. It is the internet of money. I'm, I get so excited about it. That's why I do what I do. Um, and I just can't wait to see how this evolves over the next 10 years because I don't think that Bitcoin will be some niche word or just like a tiny portion of people's portfolios in 10 to 20 years. I think it's going to be a globally transformative asset and form of money.
0: I would advise people to check out what's happening in El Salvador if they want proof of what Natalie just mentioned. We've got about a minute left here, Natalie. I'm going to give you some facts. There's been three prior halvings. The next one comes up in uh, April, I believe. In the three prior halvings, the price of Bitcoin, the first time was about $12 apiece on the day of the halving, 650 roughly a year later. Then fast forward to the four years later, $650 ballpark was the price of Bitcoin on the day of the halving, went up to about $2,500 a year later. Then most recently, four years ago, the price on the day of the, the halving, $8,000, Went up to about fifty-six thousand dollars a year later. The next happening happens in April. The last three times it's happened, the price has gone up exponentially. What would we think is going to happen twelve months after the happening happens here in April?
1: Well, exactly. Um, I think that we have a huge opportunity to get in before the number goes to six figures. So we got to get the word out for people to start allocating. Um, they still have the chance to even front run these institutions that are going to be buying for their spot Bitcoin ETF. So go out there, learn about Bitcoin, buy what's you know, you would normally spend on a coffee. That's what I often uh, recommend. And I'm just super excited that you're covering this. So thank you so much.
0: We don't hear a lot of this talk on the radio. Thank you so much for coming on, Natalie. I appreciate it. This has been the WKXL Spotlight with Natalie Brunell. Check out her interviews that she does on her Coin Stories podcast. Amazing, amazing guests. You can always catch nhtalkradio.com. Live, or you can see our, you know, download our past episodes for WKXL Spotlights. You can listen to us live, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord and 101.9 FM in Manchester. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Natalie.
1: Thank you.